Welcome to the IBCD podcast. I'm Jim Neuheiser, the executive director of IBCD. I'm with our operations director, Bob Goudsward, and our special guest today is Tim Challies. Welcome, Tim. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. I have to admit that yours is one of the most unusual ministries of which I am aware. How did you get started in, and even describe the scope of the ministry? You described your, your blogging, your writing, your publishing. So how did you get into that? And what do you see as the kind of scope of what's most important to you in ministry? Yeah, I guess I'm primarily a blogger. Um, sometimes I try to say I'm an author or a writer or something. It feels a little more respectable. But at the end of the day, I'm a blogger. That's what I do. That's my full-time gig. Got into it just by blogging. Honestly, I just started a website for my family, hence chalice.com, and uh, started writing. And over time, found that other people were enjoying what I was writing primarily for my family. So I uh, just kept on doing the writing. I've done it every day for maybe 12 or 13 or 14 years or something. So it's sort of been a very much a long haul kind of thing. And a few years ago, began to do that as a full-time vocation. So spend my days writing, uh, starting to get into a video a little bit now, and then been doing a lot of travel over the last year as well uh, for this church history project I'm involved in. So I've been on the road a lot and uh, meeting a lot of people around the world. It's been rather fascinating. What are some of the places you've been so far? Yeah, so this year I'm going to 24 countries to look for church history in those countries. So I've been to, at this point, I think I've been to about 11 of them. So I just got back from Zambia, Zimbabwe, and South Africa and really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed Zambia in particular. Seems like a, a unique nation and a uniquely placed nation to reach the rest of Africa. So you have guys like uh, Conrad Mbewe, who's been there for years and has begun a university. And then Vodi Bakum, of course, has moved over to help him with that. And then there's another uh, seminary in the northern part of the country. And they're just doing amazing work in training up men um, from around that area and uh, training up women as well, and then sending them back into ministry contact. So it was really, really encouraging to be there. Uh, also went to England, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, Israel. So I've been around a lot this year and uh, met some amazing people and look forward to meet many more. What's your next destination? We're off to Scotland next. Okay. Yeah. So Scotland, then we get back, and after that is Switzerland, and then India. So there's three very different experiences. Where in India? We're going to uh, Lucknow, we're going to uh, Calcutta, and then we're going down to the very southern part as well. Okay. I was there about 25 years ago, and that okay. was a life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to India once. It's it's an experience. It's a multi-sensory experience. Yeah, I have vivid memories of my time there that do involve all my senses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah. you say we. Who goes with you? Yeah. So for all the trips, I've been going with Stephen McCaskill, who's a filmmaker. So he and I are collaborating on uh, what we hope will be a documentary series, about 10 or 12 parts, just sort of charting my search for church history. And so what we're doing is tr we're trying to find historical objects through which we can tell the story of the Christian faith. So we are going to India, down to the southern part of India, to see where Amy Carmichael served and lived and died. Um, but prior to that, we went to Ireland, and we saw where she was born and where she went to church, and we actually went into the archives and got her Bible, and we were able to sit and read her Bible full of notes and poems and just see this Bible she had interacted with for years and years. So those are the sorts of things we're looking for and hoping to build a, a documentary and a book out of it. You have a great love of history? 
I do, yeah. I love history, uh, have a growing love of church history, and just a growing understanding that we as Christians need to know our history. And I keep telling people, when you become a Christian, the history of the church becomes your history. It's not someone else's history. We're not the first generation of Christians. So we need to know our history so we can understand what God's doing in this world, so we can avoid making the terrible sins and mistakes we've made in the past, so we can see God's grace as it's extended to other people. There's so much we, we can benefit from if we know the history of the church. So really this project is meant to help people understand in a better way, a sharper way. Christianity has a long and glorious history. Amen. One thing I've really appreciated in your blog is even though in one sense the blogosphere can appear to be like a parachurch thing, you keep pointing people back to their local churches, that that's a big deal to you. Yeah, it really is. I think we can, in an online world, in a digital world, we can really start to think that the global church, that all this stuff that's happening on social media is is the church. And, uh, you know, we can really enjoy our conferences, and I'm very thankful for conferences. We can enjoy parachurch organizations. I'm very thankful for parachurch organizations. Um, all of which can do so much good and bring so much blessing. But at the end of the day, we are first members of local churches, and uh, we thrive, we grow, we worship, we serve primarily in the context of local church. So I want people to understand that. And as we see both problems and successes in the Christian world, go back to your local church and see, you know, how am I serving? How am I helping here? Is this problem that we're hearing about really a problem in my church? Are there blessings here that I ought to be... um, you know, ways I have to be serving other people, etc. So I, I just want people to be first in a local church, not first a member of an organization, not first finding their community online. One thing I appreciate in your blogging is you'll often just give a window into your experience in your own local church, like mm-hmm. here's what we did on Sunday. Yeah. Um, what is your present involvement in your local church? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm an elder and a member, of course, at Grace Fellowship Church. I've been there for about 12 or 13 years and have been an elder there for perhaps about eight years. Then I was on staff as associate pastor for four or five, and I'm currently just back to being an elder, so not paid by the church, not on staff, um, but serving as I'm able. What responsibilities do you have in the church? So um, the main responsibility is being present and just serving people who are there. Um, we also, as elders, have we divide up the elders list, so each of us is primarily responsible for a number of people in the church. So my main thing is to stay in touch with those people, to help them, to minister to them as I'm able, and mostly to be praying for them and <clears throat> asking more and more, how can I be praying for them, and carrying out that ministry of word and prayer in their lives. I wanted to go back a bit to the social media. Uh, it's... Something, at least for Bob and me, seems new, even though it's been around for more of a higher percentage of your lifetime than our <laughs> lifetime. Sure. But <clears throat> in terms of what do you see as current trends, is where do you see it going in terms of how Christians are engaging in social media? Well, what's clear is that people are living their lives more and more through their digital devices, and one of the main ways they use those devices is to engage in social media. So a lot of people's experience of the world, their experience of reality now, really is mediated through social media. But I think we're also coming to understand that social media, for all the benefits it brings us, also brings us a lot of drawbacks, and we're trying to heighten our awareness of what is it taking. As, as Facebook gives with one hand, what is it taking away with the other? 
And there's this growing awareness that it may not be as good for us as we thought, that there may be deeper problems than we had thought. So I think there's a, a good future for social media, but it's going to be a future that we have to start shaping more than just letting the app makers, letting the, the, the experts in Silicon Valley create those things for us. Can you talk a little bit about the dangers uh, to either the individual or the church in a Christian life, in yeah. a Christian setting? Yeah, well, I think there's so many. I mean, we've just generally, we've got the risk of privacy, right, which everyone's been talking about that for a while. You know, Facebook said, we want your experience to be good. The better experience will come when you just give us more information about yourself. The more you tell us, the, the more we can give you exactly what you want. And we thought that was a good trade until we realize what they're doing with all that information, we can never get that back. And so we all kind of had this, oh my, moment where we realized we've given up something way too much. It's we've given not up, really free, is it? Yeah, nothing's free, right? What is the product, right? Who is the product? Uh, what is Facebook actually selling? They're selling you and me. They're selling us to advertisers, which, okay, you know, television has done that for years. It's just they know more about us and can track us in much more specific ways. So that's an obvious drawback. Another thing is that I don't think social media reflects reality as well as we think it does. So it tends to exaggerate problems and minimize blessings. So you think about in the Christian life, all the good things the Lord is doing in the world and the church in your life and all the terrible things that are happening in the world and the church in your life. I think probably social media gives you a much more heightened awareness of all that terrible stuff than all that good stuff. Um, so I think we can have a very negative view of the of the world, very negative view of other people, of our lives, just because we're so shaped by what we're seeing there. And bad news sells much better than uh, than good news. It moves a lot faster and much more intriguing to us, which I think probably tells us something about our nature. So uh, yeah, I think there's there's those dangers and um, maybe just this sheer amount of dedication we have to social media. You know, just how big a role it plays in our lives. Uh, that time is coming from something that, that that's time our forebears dedicated to something else now we're dedicated dedicating that to social media is there a, a positive aspect that you can think of for the church yeah very much so i mean just think about your organization how many people are accessing good material through social media that's how we advertise the availability of good resources so that's amazing they um, ref the resurgence of Reformed uh, theology over the last few years, which I think has been very helpful to the church. You can't understand it apart from blogs first and then other social media platforms as they were developed. So absolutely, the Lord has done great things and continues to. I just, just consider the way we can keep up with friends and family, all of that. It's, it, it's wonderful. But if you study the human relationship to technology over time, you'll find that we are very, very good at seeing the benefits in technology. We're very, very poor at seeing the risks in technology, at least until it's too late. And that's exactly the case it's been with Facebook, right? Like we saw the benefits, it's only later we realized maybe the risks were a lot higher than we thought. And you talked about, I think, blogging for 12 years. I mean, that's, that's an amazing discipline. How did you stay so disciplined in doing that? Because I, you know, when I get online, I'm distracted by you know, these yeah. things. I try to, I, I start going down these rabbit trails. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, do you, what do you do to just keep your focus and be able to do this every day for 12 years? Yeah. I think it's just been, A, sort of feeling a calling to it. And I don't want to get all mystical about that. You know, I never had, a, had the Lord speak to me out of the clouds and say, thou must blog. Um, but I just felt that it was a, an avenue I, I was enjoying. And uh, clearly the Lord had blessed it in terms of so many people had tried and not really gotten any traction. 
And I uh, just sort of felt this is, I think this is where I can serve the Lord and serve his church. And so that then gave me the the desire to keep doing it. And then I've just got a bit of an obsessive personality, I think, honestly, where I just like streaks. I like to keep things going. So I decided initially I will blog every day for a year. And that's because I wasn't doing well. I wasn't giving it much attention. So I just set that goal. Every day for a year, I'm going to say something. The year came and went, and I had enjoyed myself blogging every day. So I said, I'll do it again. And it just kept going for all these years now. Is that where some of the books came out of, you know, the productivity type books that you wrote? Yeah, I think most, one of the great benefits of having a blog is you can use it to test ideas. Uh, so you put something out there, if people enjoy it, okay, now I can, now I can write about it more. Um, having said all that, I think for a lot of people, blogging is the minor leagues and writing books is the elevation to the major leagues. And that was certainly in my mind, I really felt like I made it when I got that first book contract, but realized that was really just idolatry in my own heart and writing the book wasn't nearly as fulfilling as I thought it would be and I, great I wrote a book it was fun but I had to come to understand no I can just blog and be happy doing that and so that's why purposely now when I endorse a book or something I just put Tim Challey's blogger and that's just my reminder I don't need to I don't need to make myself feel better by saying I'm an author I'm okay just blogging and uh, just identifying myself that way for how long do you, how long do you spend every day in prep? Because you're pulling together summaries of many, many different resources. You're reading lots of other blogs and pointing to certain ones. Yeah. I, I mean, it's my full-time job, so that's what I do now. Um, there's two parts to it. There's content curation and content creation, right? So I curate content, which means every day I put out an article with seven articles or videos you might like to read or watch today. And so that takes a couple hours of looking around, gathering information, reading those articles, trying to find some little highlight of them that I can share. Um, the other half of it is creating content. And uh, so I'm writing articles. Or more recently, I've had some um, problems with my hands. I can't really type much anymore. And so I've been uh, leaning more on video. So trying to um, get better at creating video and get content out that way as well. How are you addressing the problem that you can't type? Are you using voice technology or? Yeah, I've tried using voice technology, but it's just, okay, first it struggles with Canadian accents, which I learned only after I paid for it. Um, but they actually have a note in there, like we're hoping to bring an update for Canadian users soon. <laughs> um, but also I just find it, so it's not bad if I'm just speaking like this, uh, that software will record what I'm saying. But if I want to go back and change things and edit it, I find it excruciatingly hard. and automatically I start reaching for the keyboard and and just and then I'm just exacerbating the problem. So starting next week I've got somebody to come and type for me. So we'll see how that goes. I know that you also bill yourself as a book reviewer and you get more books to review than you have time for. Yeah. And uh, I was actually thankful you did. I really impressed my bosses at RTS that you reviewed my book. All right, so that, good, good. <laughs> that got, I didn't get a raise, but I at least got kudos that I, I, made, I was publicly commended for making chalice. So All that, right, good, uh, good. In front of a whole bunch of people. So it was kind of funny to me. I was going to ask a question in terms of, is you have all these people throwing books at you. Other than the books you've written, what are some books you think that need to be written? So I'd like to see Christians writing, and I... Please don't hear me exonerating myself from this. I just think generally we have a pretty low standard for writing quality because people are saying what we want them to say. So I'd like to see some really skilled writers writing very skillfully about amazing truth. I, I do think there's a little bit of a lack of, of attention to really good writing in the Christian world. So we'll have very functional books. Um, and, you know, if you get an audience, they'll let you write a book. Somebody will. So if you can prove that you'll sell 
And the, the, the standard's pretty low in the Christian world, right? Outside Christian publishing, you might need to prove you can sell 50 or 100,000. Within Christian publishing, 1,000 or 2,000 would be enough to make it worth publishing that book. So there's a pretty low barrier to entry, and I think that means the, the writing can be kind of mediocre. So I'd like to see Christians really pushing themselves to, you know, like guys like C.S. Lewis did, they wrote beautifully, such a good writer, and dealing so well with so much truth. I think more of those kinds of writers would be a great blessing to the Christian world, rather than just very pedestrian writing. Um, I wanted to mention something that is actually free, that has been a great blessing in my wife and my counseling ministry, is your wife is Aileen. Aileen, yep. And she wrote a little booklet called False Messages, Mm -hmm. and we give that printed out Mm -hmm. and hand it to a lot of ladies in counseling, and please convey from me that... That has been a great blessing to many women. I actually, in my counseling classes, show it Hmm. to the people we're training in marriage and family to help with those issues. But I think her writing that from the perspective of a woman who really seeks to understand marriage and men and a husband has been tremendously helpful. Well, good. Yeah, that's helpful. She she wrote that on the back of, I had written uh, a blog series that became a book called Sexual Detox, and Hmm. that was very early on when we were just as a Christian community starting to realize, oh, there's an entire generation of people in this church who are addicted to porn. Um, I mean, now we've got hundreds of books and programs and seminars and lots of ways of dealing with that. But uh, back then there was very, very little. So I wrote this little this little booklet and um, we got so many heartbreaking emails, the majority of them from women who were saying, yeah, my husband, my husband, my husband. And she felt compelled to try and respond to some of that, and so wrote that little series booklet. And and I read and enjoyed your book as well, Mm -hmm. but hers stood out as there wasn't anything else like it. Right, and And I still don't think there is. No, no, I don't think there is, and um, not much. Anyway, there's maybe a couple of books on it now, but uh, very much in the Christian world, our understanding of female sexual sin is women sin sexually by not having sex with their husbands, and men sin sexually by looking at porn or other things. And I think now we're just realizing there's a whole lot more. So my wife's been asked to deal more with how do women sin sexually and um, what are some of the, you know, women addicted to pornography is a massive thing now compared to where it was a few years ago. So she's really got a heart for those things and really trying to uh, assist women in those areas that just aren't talked about. It wasn't talked about what do you do when your husband's looking at porn and what do you do if you're looking at porn as a woman. So mm-hmm. I like how she just also just addresses even in the marriage that's not distressed with a husband addicted to porn, just mm-hmm. the ordinary tensions that exist where mm-hmm. he has this different view of things. Right. And uh, she talks about how he's not just wanting sex, he's wanting all of you. He's right. wanting the closeness. And uh, again, a man in counseling could tell a couple that and tell the wife that, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be nearly as effective as having another wife say the same right. thing. Right. Yeah. And those are the sorts of things as pastors, couples, counselors you're dealing with on a pretty routine basis, right? Where uh, just trying to explain the basics and help people understand their experience. Most people experience this in marriage, but it's so freeing to hear your experience is not unique. Other people are are grappling with this, and here's a few truths to think about and pray through. And it's interesting when, when I'm, as a man, I've spoken many times on pornography, and guys will come up, and it's really not not that big a deal. Uh, when she speaks, women come up who are tremendously broken and just weeping, and it's a very different response. And that's partly because of the sins of their husbands or um, boyfriends or whatever the case may be, but it's also then uh, 
often draws up other sin that uh, they've committed or that's been committed against them. So uh, it can be a, a very difficult thing to speak on just because of that, what seems to be a deeper emotional um, involvement in it. And there's been a lot of focus on the men's sins of lust, pornography. Yeah. And I think women have not been taught well to think it through more thoroughly in terms of where their husband's heart is. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, and just there can be a legitimate difference between how men and women see intimacy and marriage. Right. And to look sympathetically towards one another in that right. rather than in a harsher judgmental way, which sometimes can right. be the case. Took me thirty something years to figure some of that stuff yeah. out, and I'm yeah. thankful to the degree the Lord has helped me with that. Well, good, yeah. Well, Tim, we are just so grateful that you've come to our conference this year, and people will be able to access your talks on our website, ibcd.org, and uh, we're grateful for your ministry. Thank you. And how the Lord is using you, and it's been a blessing to get to know you better personally through this chat other than just I feel like when people come here and they've listened to my audios they'll say I feel like I know you and certainly (laughs) you're just very much self-expressive in your blogs and so having never had a long conversation I still felt like I knew you already but this has been better good good thank you yeah it's been fun this has been the IBCD podcast with our special guest Tim Chalice If you want more resources for biblical counseling, you can download our app, IBCD, or go to ibcd.org. The Lord bless you.